0: Welcome to this episode of Church Chats with Gospel Gal. I am the Gospel Gal, Marissa Namir, and today I'm chatting with Matt, Victor, and Joy. We're discussing our gospel awakenings. Growing up, we were encouraged to give our testimonies, as if our testimony was equal to the gospel. So, yeah, I like gospel awakening better because it puts the focus on the gospel instead of on you.
1: Well, the evangelical the evangelical church can only sing, sing in singing one key, the key of me. Me, <laughs> me, me,
2: me, me. me. Okay. Victor H before beauty.
1: Well, you got me on both of those, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Victor. Last name is Miss Shot. I will finish my journey in a. Uh, an Anglican uh, congregation, uh, Christ Church Anglican here in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. One thing cool about Anglicanism, you don't have to, there's a lot of things you don't have to wrangle about because the liturgy is set and uh, you know the other things, hey, they're almost peripheral.
0: So how did you grow up? What was your um, spiritual foundation?
1: I grew up in a Christian children's home most of my life and uh, it was began by a Pentecostal preacher and his wife. Very loving good people probably showed the love of Jesus more than most people I've met uh, and also of course that holiness movement second blessing and, and all of that that goes along with Pentecostalism and so growing up in that from the age of four to fourteen I always wanted to be a Christian I believed in everything but their portrayal was that uh here's your level of holiness and if you're not at this level of holiness then you know you you may not even be a Christian. So I saw that and I said, well, I can't attain to that. So well, I guess Christianity's not for me. I, well, you know, so I guess I'm just not, I'm not going to be one. So I, I just don't have what to take, but I did learn that there was sin. I learned that I learned that Jesus died on the cross. I learned about heaven and hell. And so I took those things away with me. And of course, those things constantly were, were in my mind, but of course, you know, going into a, a certain lifestyle, whatever I came face to face with, possibly someone who might want to share the gospel with me, I was like, nah, you know, I'm too interested in what I'm into right now. I grew up in the 70s and 80s, so I don't need to explain it. About the age of 28, uh, was uh, converted and came into the faith. That was my grounding, my, you know, full speed of uh, head, uh, super zeal, David Platt, John MacArthur, you name it, you name it, all those, uh, that kind of hyper zeal kind of a thing, you know, moving forward, moving up and moving on. But, you know, in time, I, I realized, you know, something's not right with all this. Uh, something didn't sound right. Something didn't seem right. Because I, I think I knew enough of the gospel to understand that, um, you know, Christ had done so- something. So why am I working so hard to do something too? Uh, the two didn't fit. That's where I was confused by listening to MacArthur for over 30 years. I felt I learned a ton of doctrine. You know, as we know, he has this law of gospel confusion. And I have all his stuff. I had all his stuff. Matter of fact, on that wall right back there, I had my own tape library. (laughs) I like to listen to Christian radio. And I actually came on to Alistair Begg. So I started listening to him. And I thought, well, this guy sounds a little different. So through Alistair Begg, I kind of connected with Ligonier. Because, you know, uh, Sinclair Ferguson and he are friends. It just started kind of moving in that direction. And Alistair Begg said something one day. It just clicked in my mind. He said, the gospel's all outside of us. And of course, he's quoting Luther. And bing, the light went on. The gospel's all outside of us. I kind of under- knew that, but I didn't understand You know how you know something, but you don't really understand it, if you know what I mean. Uh, it's all before you, but you're like, I can't, I still can't sort it out, I'm used to what I'm supposed to be doing, Christ died for my sins, but I'm supposed to be doing something, it's all outside of me, it's all about what Christ did, it's all about what Christ has accomplished, oh my, oh Lord, God Almighty, I'm sorry, you know, you get that, when that comes into view, it's just, it's like, you know, like Luther said, I'm born again, again, you know, and uh, at that time, Alistair Begg was promoting a book. It was called How the Gospel Brings Us All the Way Home. And so I rushed to get that book. And along with that book came a tape series. And, oh, Lord, when I read that book. And, I mean, it might as well be titled How Christ Brings Us All the Way Home. How is Christ yesterday and Christ today and Christ tomorrow and Christ when I take my last breath. And it's Christ now and forever. God be blessed, amen. You know, uh, Sinclair Ferguson was my favorite because he seemed to have the most, the, the, this most Christ like manner, spoke. It just kind of fed you Christ every time he did. About three years ago, I retired. Prior to that, I had heard about Facebook. I, I didn't want anything to do with it because I, I wasn't interested in watching someone eat the cornflakes in the morning. But after I retired, I got connected with Facebook, and then I started using Facebook to kind of preach. My family was really angry with me. They were like, that's not what Facebook's for. Ah, You know, and I'm like, it seems like a good medium for that. I mean, so I started doing that and I'm not even really sure. And this is how God works. You know, Christ is not going to leave his saint in this oppressive pietism. He's just not going to leave you there. You may go there. You might start there and you may struggle in that, but you're not going to, you're not, he's not going to leave you there. He's going to let you come to a point where you have the joy for joy and you could enjoy him and all that that flows from Christ to us and joy we have in him. So somehow I I think I had posted something and Gary Edwards corrected me and I was like, okay, good. And I think it was about faith. Oh, I think I might have said, preach the gospel, live the gospel. And it might have been him who came on and said, We don't live the gospel, No, that's what I like about Gary. Next thing I know, I think he introduced me to you, you to John. And then from there, you know, you guys give all these links, White Horse Ann, Idol blog, more about Luther, more about Calvin, more about the Reformation. And then it's just, it just started growing like a flower. Here I am. You know, I can't express thankfulness. I, 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 there's no words in my mouth. You know, what's the best book I ever read? I also read one from John So uh, He's a Puritan. And it was called Mystic Communion with Christ. And it kind of gave me an awareness of, or awakened my mind to this union with Christ. And of course, let's mention Jerry Bridges. I mean, Jerry Bridges, I mean, I didn't read any of his books, but I had one of his series, Knowledge of Union with Christ, how he came to that realization. And of course, Jerry Bridges was, was a great help to me too. So I've just been blessed beyond, I mean, I mean, People, some people laugh at me when I tell them Facebook's been a treasure trove for me, and it truly has. You know, uh, I have, uh, and I just keep reading it, and I'm, I'm thankful when people go, "No, Victor, that's not correct," because that's why I, that's what I want, because I might still have it wrong, and I want to know that. So, where's this brought me to? You know, just just well, you saw. But I'll quote a verse from a song. Y'all will know it. I'm sure of it when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within. Upward I look and I see him there, who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless savior died, my sinful soul is counted free, for God the just is satisfied. To look on him, pardon me, to learn that the whole of the Christian life is in Christ. Not me. It's in Christ and all that He has finished. All right, there you go. Now I'm old and I'm just finishing my journey and I'm just overwhelmed by all the goodness that God is pouring on me. I'm thankful beyond words.
0: Thanks be to God and thank you for sharing that with us, Victor. Amen. Joy, you're up. Who are you and what church
2: do you go to? My name is Joy and I'm currently, I became a member of Christ Reformed Church in Anaheim, California.
0: Tell us about your spiritual formation.
2: I grew up in a military family, so we moved around quite often. Did not have like a very strong Christian influence, but whenever we did go to church, it was always to a Catholic church and that was kind of what I associated Christianity to be like. I did end up or going to an all-girls Catholic high school. And shortly after that, I went off to college and joined a Christian women's a cappella group. And that was when I started learning, I guess, more about religion. And that's where I, I had made the decision to become a Catholic, um, officially be baptized into the Catholic church and start taking communion. I didn't really realize like what I was getting myself into. A lot of my life, Consisted of just going through the motions, not really thinking about what I was doing and why I was doing it, really always considering myself to be a Christian. Towards the end of my junior year, in the summer before my senior year, I ended up going to work at a Christian summer camp. And it was a Methodist-based camp, but there was a lot of different people from different denominations that were, ended up being counselors there. And it was there where I heard the gospel for the first time where I realized that I was not a Christian. Um, I realized that I was a sinner and I needed a savior. And just watching the lives of the people, the counselors, how seriously they took their faith, really inspired me. And so, and that's where God kind of revealed himself to me in a way that was really special. That's where I trusted him. Shortly after that, I went back to college. I ended up going to a charismatic church, still learning a lot, started reading the Bible. That's where I learned about the five points of Calvinism and then I that's where I heard about like Paul Washer that's where I heard about like people like Piper and Chandler all these different people and listening to them and then I graduated moved to California ended up going to Calvary Chapel for a few years still was wrestling with Calvinism and the Doctors of Grace and still like listening to all sorts of things things like I'll be honest I had always, from the beginning of my Christian life, struggled really hard with assurance, especially with what I was listening to, where I would listen to like sermons that were maybe two hours long where it goes through First John and it'll ask you like, are these things true in your life? Are these things true in your life? Do you love Jesus? You know, it was, it was always talking about how much you love Jesus. How devoted are you to Jesus? If these things are not true in your life, then you have reason to doubt your salvation probably the first time I ever heard Paul Washer was when he was doing his, I think his shocking youth message. I listened to that. and <laughs> Yeah, it was terrifying. Um, that was like maybe about six months after I became a Christian. And so there was points in time where I would read the Bible, especially Hebrews, where I would think, oh, wow, like Jesus really did save me. But then there was also more pronounced points in time where my assurance kind of ebbed and flowed with how well I was doing. So My Christian life was kind of like that. I always viewed God as somebody who just tolerated me. And if I didn't do well, then that means that maybe I'm not saved. And I looked at my life on a day-to-day basis. And even like, you know, when you look back at your life throughout the week or months, it's like, there's no way I can be saved. And so that that happened really bad about two years ago around Easter time. I was being like a table leader at my church at the time of a, of a Bible study and just the weight and the responsibility of like, you know, shepherding a whole bunch of women that kind of got to me because it's like, man, I feel like I'm an imposter. Um, how can I talk like this to these women and leave them in Bible study when I can't even get my act together? And so I just felt like I was living a lie. And I remember driving to work one day, I was like, there's just no way, like, if I die, I'm not going to go to heaven. And it was like that for a a week. And I ended up going to an Easter service at um, another church. It was a Southern Baptist church. And they went through the 10 commandments. And then on top of the 10 commandments, it went through like how you can break each commandment. So by the time I got through that line, I was like, there's just no way I'm not going to heaven. Um, The day after I ended up going to a Bible study. And that's kind of like where I broke, where I explained like, you know, I, I feel like I, I'm living my life as if I'm, I don't really trust God. I don't know if I'm saved or not. But there's this woman there and she shared the gospel with me. And um, she talked about Christ's obedience to the law and how he satisfied the wrath of God in my place. All things that I had known before in the back of my head, but she was just recalling them to remembrance. And then she says something very um, poignant, and she's like, maybe you should go somewhere where you hear that more often. And at first I was like, but I already know this (laughs) stuff. Like, what are you talking about? Of course I hear this often. (laughs) But it wasn't until the next day he was talking about humility and just how much we need to be humble. I realized like she's onto something here. Mm -hmm. Like there's something missing. And of course, after that, I went into this huge depression and she provided me with a lot of different resources, like White Horse Inn. Another friend introduced me to to the that Theology Gals episode with John Fonville. and this is, this was all during a whole year-long process, and that summer, I was extremely depressed because basically everything that I had originally held dear and believe was being challenged, and I was so confused and so sad) <laughs> And heartbroken, especially for my congregation, the congregation that I was at. I love that congregation so much. And I still do. I was ready to just walk away from everything completely. But something that another friend of mine had said that I really held dear was, God's just revealing these things to you so that he can reassure you of, of his favor towards you in Christ. Then, you know, I started listening to like White Horse Inn, um, I was especially started listening to their Christless Christianity theory. And there was one particular episode where, where it was talking about how we assume the gospel. And that's kind of like where everything just clicked. Yeah. It's like, oh, wow, I assume the gospel. Churches everywhere assume that people know the gospel, like, and people might know and understand it, but is it really sufficient in your sanctification as well? And that was something that was missing. And a year goes by, I ended up attending a catechism class at Christ Reformed Church. And that's where it all started.
0: Well, what are you learning at Christ Reformed Church that's different?
2: Ooh, that's a big question. I feel like before I might've understood a lot of things, but at Christ Reformed Church, there is a very clear law and gospel distinction and the gospel it permeates the entire service. Um, it's in the pastoral prayer, it's in the assurance of pardon. Start learning about communion and what that means. It's not just a memorial. You don't just take communion just to remember what Jesus did for you. It is a means of grace that is supposed to nourish and strengthen your faith. Really also about the active obedience of Christ. I heard Jesus died on the cross for me. He absorbed the wrath of God. He was, he was buried. He was raised from the dead. But I don't think I ever really heard or understood that Jesus actually lived for me in my place. And when you think about that, when you understand that your obedience is out of gratitude, and that Jesus really did accomplish everything for you in your place, mm-hmm. there has just been such a relief and a joy in knowing that. And also going to a church where it is affirmed and encouraged, because people leave church just and they're just given more things to do, or they're encouraged to question their salvation. You know, I, I remember talking to somebody uh, about something that Paul Washer was preaching on, And that person made a joke and said, oh, well, I don't even feel like I'm saved now. And they said it like it was a good thing. And looking back, I'm thinking, wow, that's a good thing? That is not a good thing. If anything, when they go to church every Sunday, they should be bolstered and strengthened in their faith. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, I, I know there are false converts out there, and we should be careful. But I feel like a lot of time that's the only thing that is on the church's mind is, try- is to try to weed out the false converts and to scare Christians into thinking that they're not saved and to cause them to really examine themselves and scare them into thinking like, oh, maybe I'm not really believing the gospel because there are certain aspects of my life that are not in accordance with God's word. And we kind of overshoot and forget that God really does love and care for us. He really does want us to be assured of his salvation. And another thing I'm learning is that assurance, it really is like the essence of the Christian life. I'm listening to a lot of John or sermons, he says you can't love God and obey him if you're not assured of the fact that you are loved and accepted by him.
0: You can't love God if you are constantly under the secret suspicion that God is your enemy.
2: Yes, exactly. That is exactly what he said. You cannot love God if you are suspicious of the fact that he is ultimately going to damn you and send you to hell at any moment. You can't operate like that. And I feel like a lot of times when you're listening to a sermon or if you go to a church that emphasizes more of how you should be and what you should do in the Christian life versus what Christ has already done for you, it erodes at your assurance. It makes you suspicious because you're constantly questioning, looking inward and thinking like, okay, well, in the end, I don't even know. I don't even know. I'm doing all these things. I I'm so exhausted. Like, does God really love me? As human beings, that's how we're wired. We're wired towards law. We're encouraged to work hard, pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. And unfortunately, we take that attitude into our Christian life. And the gospel is antithetical to that. You
0: are so insightful. But yeah, the Lord is really teaching you and revealing himself to you. I'm thankful to hear what he's doing in your life. One thing I did want to do before we, um, before I started everything, but I forgot to do so, so I'll just do it now was to talk about something that you both have talked about already. But as Joy was saying, sometimes it, what I'm getting to can be taken for granted and misunderstood. So for the sake of whoever might be listening to this in the future, I like to define what the gospel is. The gospel in the narrow sense of that word is the life, death, burial, and a resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ for his people. Summed up in the first few verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that Christ (laughs) died, was buried, and rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. But if you don't understand the law, which I will also briefly define, the gospel really makes no sense. The law is not the gospel. Most of the time, when people discuss the law of God, that means the Ten Commandments, or it can mean whatever things that God has commanded of us. Not promise—they are not what Christ has accomplished for us. They are the things that God required of us that we failed to do.
1: Yes.
0: So, Christ, as Joy was saying, fulfilled the law of God personally perfectly and perpetually all his life. That's what his life was about, coming to save us from our sins. And he did that by keeping God's will in every way that we have failed. And then because we failed, he also took the punishment for our sins upon himself. The accusations against him, the torture he endured in our place, suffering on the cross, and being put in a grave, And then rising again to prove that he actually did accomplish what he came here to do and that God the Father was pleased with his sacrifice.
2: He's seated at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. Thank
0: you, Lord, that even now he's in heaven interceding for us so that whenever the accuser, who often appears in heaven accusing us of things that we have done, things that we have not done, and they're most likely true
1: yes that's right
0: but jesus is there showing his pierced hands his pierced feet his bleeding brow it is finished it's still finished and whenever the lord sees us then he just sees his son
1: we want to hear your
0: story come on now Okay, so my name is Marissa. I am a gospel gal. The reason why I'm the gospel gal is because I have nothing better to talk about in my entire life and being the gospel and what Christ has accomplished for me. But I wasn't always there. I, I was born to Marsha and Joseph Rosenfeld. So I was actually born into a Jewish home. My father grew up an Orthodox Jew. My mother grew up sort of nominal to the point where when she actually got married, my father asked her to convert to Judaism, and she did. So I'm not sure how strong her foundation was. My parents, soon after I was born, separated. So the majority of my life I spent with my mother an only child myself. When I was about seven, I was invited by someone in my class to go to Sunday school with her. And it was there that I heard the gospel. It was right around that time that my uncle, who was only 19 years old, was killed in a motorcycle accident. Mm. So from the time I was very young, I had an understanding of the frailty of life. I had also seen pretty significant physical abuse. So I recognized from the time I was very young, life is fleeting and things are really scary. And there's a lot of sin in this world, sin and death. So he was preparing me to receive the gospel, which I believe that I did. I actually asked my mother to come to church with me. So she started going to church with me again. We were both baptized the same year. We were members of a PCUSA church. But I'm thankful for the time that I had there. I had a Sunday school teacher who was a little old lady in her 80s. Her name was Mrs. Joss, and I remember she had a very thick Scottish accent, and she taught us Psalm 23, the Lord's Prayer, and the Apostles' Creed. So fast forwarding to the future, and when I started my reforming process, the idea of confessions and creeds were not foreign. Even though most of my spiritual foundation After leaving the PCUSA church was an independent, fundamentalist, baptist, biblicist environment. We were only in the PCUSA for a few years, and then my mother decided we were going to IFB church. Fundamentalist, legalistic, biblicist church, where we would hear the gospel in one breath, but then I was being given the impression that God is angry with me like you're always supposed to be happy and joyful. And that if you're ever depressed, you're in sin. That if you ever do anything that is against whatever rules the church wanted to impose, whether it was actually God's law or not, that you're in big trouble. During this time, there, there's a lot of complicated things that happen in my life. So as I told you earlier, my parents broke up. I'm from a divorced home. In my adolescence, I really did not have much to do with my father. I didn't see my father or have anything to do with my father from the time I was 15 to age 18. So being in an independent Baptist fundamentalist church, you can imagine what that's like on the fringes. My mother really didn't have any close connections as far as friendships. With people in the church because she was a single divorced woman. I was being taught things like choose only a date that would make a good mate. Every time I would see I'm getting into a relationship with somebody, I'm like, oh I'm gonna marry this person. So it messed with me. I had some very strange perceptions about God's fatherhood, about relationships and dating. And a lot of my security was in making sure I find the right husband because my identity is gonna be my husband. Like, and that's the kind of thing you're being taught with. That's what patriarchy teaches us. Now, I went to college at Bob Jones University, met my husband. We got married in between my junior and senior year. I was a Bible major. Well, I had two majors actually. One of them was seeking my MRS. Yeah, I'm seeking my Mrs. Degree. I'm a Christian. I understand the things of the Lord to a certain degree. I want my life to glorify God. My relationship with the Lord and my marriage and the way I see my identity is like all on the same level, blurred. We know when you're at Christ, He's up here, and it doesn't mean you don't love the people in your life, but it was a skewed perception. So my husband and I graduate from Bob Jones, and the first thing we want to do is get as far away from Bob Jones as we can. Yeah, we did learn the Bible, which was good, but the perspective, again, is like, he loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. He's happy with me today, he sent Jesus to die for me, but there's always this thing in the background, these clouds. My husband and I ended up married which was good. Neither one of us, we both had a bad taste in our mouth for Bob Jones. The first church that we went to as a married couple was a church that was actually blacklisted by Bob Jones. But the church was a hyper-Calvinistic church. So I didn't really know anything about the Catholic church. When I say Catholic, I mean Universal are small c Catholic. I just knew that we were learning biblicalism And I didn't have any foundation in the reformers or anything like that. The only book that I was actually exposed to at that point was A.W. Pink, The Sovereignty Mm -hmm. of God. And it was eye-opening to me. It was very revealing. That was not my gospel awakening, but I was like, huh, this is interesting. And it kind of sparked my appetite for old theologians. Uh, 2010... I had a spiritual crisis. I was in a spiritual depression. I was pretty sure we were gonna end up divorced, but I really feel that I was under some kind of a demonic attack because I've never experienced anything like that before or since, but it was so bad. And my husband said, you have a target on your back. Because I had like such a bad perception of what marriage is and what my identity was as a wife, it was an idol for me. And, you know, if you've been married, Victor, you have, you kind of know what this is like when things go south and you realize that your spouse is not going to be, you know, like Jerry Maguire, they complete you, (laughs) like they disappoint you. And it caused a a crisis for me because I knew I wasn't who I was supposed to be. And I knew my husband wasn't who I thought he was going to be. So it was very idolatrous the way I was seeing that relationship. I'm not exaggerating when I say every day for three years, I spent most of my day crying. But I know that the Lord was with me, that he sustained me. And there, it was so strange because even in the, the lowest, deepest, darkest parts of what I went through, I never doubted that I was God's child And I knew it didn't matter how far I tried to run away from him or away from my marriage or whatever it was, he wasn't going to let go of me. The analogy I used was like a dog on a retractable leash. It just keeps running and running and running and running and then jerk back. You're not going anywhere. You think you are, but you're not. And I'm very thankful I have a friend, but she was with me through that. And she just kept telling me over and over and over again, this does not define you. Jesus defines you. Mm-hmm. Hearing her say that was what was keeping me alive, I think. She was God's vessel to me, God's vessel of mercy to me during that time. And she just stuck by me. Didn't matter what I did or what I told her, she just stuck by me. And it was in that time, you know, Westminster Shorter Catechism tells us what sanctification is.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I can't quote it directly for you. I should have pulled it up. But it's, it tells us that it is, it is the gift of God's free grace, whereby we are conformed to the image of Christ. And I knew this before I ever even knew what the Westminster Confession of Faith was. I knew I was justified. I knew that I was in Christ, but I didn't know how sanctification worked out prior to this point, really. I kind of thought it was synergistic. I, know, I wouldn't use that word because I had never heard it before, but I thought I had to keep up, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I
0: couldn't. So especially when I was, it was during this dark period that God was showing me you don't have what it takes and you never will (laughs) that's not what christianity is about i was praying two things for three years number one change me lord change me please change me because i cannot change myself change the desires of my heart change my heart i can't change myself the other thing that i would pray is lord if you're not going to change me please take me out of this world. Just kill me. (laughs) It was that bad. He didn't. And here I am. I think it was during that time that I had the gospel awakening because it was like, the Lord was just teaching me, you can't rescue yourself. And I got on social media and I was being exposed to all kinds of teaching and again, this is like back in 2010. So I'm here reading like John MacArthur, R.C. Sproul, all these people. And I would hear people like like John MacArthur. And I'm like, within the first five minutes or Paul Washer, I could not listen to either one of them because it just took me back to my IFB upbringing. And it's like, this is not good news. They're just teaching me what I always thought. Like, I can get this done. I can Like, I'm in this valley. I cannot do this. I just lived through an experience that taught me that I cannot do this. And I know from the word of God, for it is God who is working in you, enabling you to both desire and to work out his good pleasure. Philippians 2 verse 13, for it is God who is working in you, enabling you both to desire and work out his good pleasure that was light bulb experience for me like i and it was just proving to me god's word is faithful you should never base your theology on your experiences but it's good when your experiences match up with theology that's directly taught from scripture i already knew i can't do it i can't live the life that you have commanded me to live i cannot do this this is like impossible so i need you to change the desires of my heart. And guess what? He directly answered my prayer. We didn't have a church at this point. I said this last time we had a podcast on church discipline. I said, it's very precarious for a sheep to be without a fold and without good under shepherds. Mm-hmm. And that's so true because we didn't have a church at this point, And I think that was part of our problem. But we didn't know where we should be. Even though I graduated with a Bible degree, I really didn't understand what church was for and how important it is to be in a place that is persistently teaching the gospel with clarity. I wasn't even really clear on what should be taught all the time every week. After coming through that crisis, I was just learning and learning and learning. But finally, I was like, Lord, please show me more of who you are. And he did. I just I kept meeting people and getting closer and closer, and learning more and more about Reformed theology, and uh, Gary Edwards introduced us to John Fonville. and I was listening to John, and I was hearing from him, him exactly, like, what I needed to hear, like, yes, it's true, you can't pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you're right, I think he, and that group at, around that time, Wayhorson and all those different podcasts, Scott Clark, They were saying exactly what I was saying. Like, there's no way that sanctification can be synergistic.
2: Validating, isn't it? Yes. And I was like, thank you, Lord.
0: And then the gospel awakening was coming from John because John was teaching your justification came through the gospel and your sanctification continues through the gospel. (laughs) It's Christ for you outside of you
1: michael horton says we don't move on from the gospel but we move further into the gospel deeper
0: and deeper into the gospel not only are you forgiven and free and being conformed to the image of christ you're actually dead colossians 3 verse 3 for you have died and your life is hidden with christ in god Mm -hmm. how amazing is that That is the point. Like we are, we are completely substituted. He has completely satisfied for every iota of obedience that was ever expected. And then he died for me. Yeah. We know that he is faithful to complete what he begins. Uh, So currently we're attending the Village Church at Minings where Kurt Benham is the pastor. John uh, Fineville actually introduced us. And I am really, really enjoying being allured by my Savior. He's so- I like that. Mm-hmm. He's good. But every day he's wooing me to himself. And I will tell you, the gospel mystery of sanctification is so true because the more we see Christ and the more convinced we are of his love for us, That's what makes us want to love him and serve him and it's hard. It's not duty. I mean, the the Puritans use that word duty. I don't really like it. Jesus actually said this. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's it right there. And how do we love God? We love him because he first loved us. We can't serve him. If we are under the constant secret suspicion that God is our enemy, we will never want to serve him. So I spend a great deal of my life consciously remembering the gospel and then sharing it with other people because I have to, and it's a burden and I have to surrender myself. No, because I know he loves me. It's true. He loves me. And he's given me assurance of his pardoning favor in the person of Jesus Christ. He's awakened me to the gospel. It is my prayer for you also that you will hear these comfortable words and know them and have assurance from them. Listen to the words of Thomas Cranmer, Archbishop and English Reformer. Hear the comfortable words our Savior Christ saith unto all who turn to him. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that anyone who believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. This is a true saying and worthy of all men to be received, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. If any man sin, he have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and He is the propitiation for our sins. It's been great chatting with you, and I look forward to seeing you next time.